from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Presented by 2020lifestyles.com. This is The Blitz. The first look at the top stories in Seattle sports. They don't make them like us. We're not like everybody else. The rundown on everything Seattle sports on your way to work. Swing and a fly ball. Deep right center field. He did it again. And the stories everyone is talking about. We got This is the Blitz at 6. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Thursday, August 6th. We've almost made it till the end of the week in this one together. Ahead in this hour, a nice win for the Mariners yesterday. A one-run win against the Angels. We're able to overcome two home runs by Mike Trout. Just doing Mike Trout-type things. Hitting uh, one of their own, an important milestone for Kyle Seager, his 200th career home run, and it was a far one, not a cheap one by any means. We'll hear from Seager on that accomplishment as well as chasing some other big names in the Mariners organization in that department. Also ahead in this hour, the Seahawks making a minor move yesterday, so we'll discuss and hear from Tyler Lockett ahead of this season, what training camp's like. Plus, the Big 12 players following suit, or at least taking an example from Pac-12 players in creating a a letter of demands, health and safety this time, that they would like to see implemented, what could be the repercussions for across college football. It's ahead in this hour. Right now, let's get to your headlines. The windup and the 2-2 pitch, swing and a miss, strike three, and the ball game is over. The Mariners win it tonight, a final score. Of 7-6 to six over the Angels, and the Mariners snapped the four-game losing skid. The Mariners beat the Angels 7-6 to six on Wednesday night. As I mentioned, despite two home runs by Mike Trout, Kyle Seager hitting a three-run shot, the 200th of his career. J.P. Crawford also had another hit at the top of the lineup. Dylan Moore in the two-spot went three for five with two runs. Uh, K. Lou, two more hits for him, and then Kyle Seager and Austin Nola, two for each of those guys. Seegs and Nola both tallying two RBI yesterday as well. And Scott Service saying, nice to see offense really lead the way this time. Nice offensive night, certainly, by a lot of guys. Um, you know, Dylan Moore continues to swing it well. Uh, Nola, some, some couple doubles. Kyle Lewis, but uh, Kyle Seager's 200 homer. Uh, you know, it's pretty, pretty awesome to see. I've seen a lot of them here. Don't know if I've seen one that far here. Uh, he really got all that one. I've seen him hit a few far ones on the road, but probably one of the farthest ones I've seen him hit in this ballpark. So, uh, again, uh, you know, nice to see Evan White uh, rewarded. He certainly needed one. Um, taking the ball the other way is a good sign. That's what he's going to have to get back to doing and, and hopefully get some of the results he's looking for over, over on that side of the field. It all started with great pitching, though. Marco Gonzalez getting the nod on the bump. He pitched seven innings, gave up three earned runs off of three hits, has now a lot of success against the Angels. Scott Service on that starting with Marco. Nice win, obviously, uh, our guys tonight. Really, it, it starts with starting pitching, uh, and Marco was really, really good tonight. Uh, you know, obviously, the gave up the, the, the three home runs, but they're solo shots, and I know he can he can survive those, but I thought he was really sharp, and you know, after they got the, the two home runs there in the sixth, to go back out in the seventh, uh, you know, and shut them down there, put another zero up was was really big. Marco gave up a solo shot to Max Stassi in the top of the third, allowing the Halos to take the first lead of the night. But then Seeger's 200th career home run that following shortly after in the bottom of the frame, the three-run shot landed in the second deck of the right field seats and gave Seattle a 3-1 lead. The 1-1 pitch. 
Swinging a high fly ball out to right field, and this is way, way gone. Whoa, up by the head in here, Cafe. Way to punctuate number 200. Kyle Seeger make it count. A three-run tank out to right field, and Kyle Seeger becomes just the fourth player in franchise history to hit 200 home runs in a Mariner's uniform. One of the all-time greats as a Mariner. Was that one of the farther home runs that he's hit in the ballpark? Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't go up there too often. I guess um, I figured out that the the home runs that land in the third row count just as much. So that's been that's been more my approach, I guess. I leave I leave up there for the big boys. Statcast didn't even have a major on it. Maybe you broke Statcast. You know what? I'm I'm going to use that line then. That's what I'll that's what I'll go with in there. I'll take it. Why not? Seeger joined uh, King Griffey Jr., Edgar Martinez, and Jay Buhner as the only four players in the M's organization to hit 200 home runs with the team. And uh, Seeger is mentioning he's still a few behind them. I'm still a few behind them. So, <laughs> yeah, I might have a little little way to go. I, you know, I, I appreciate the company, but I think uh, I still got a little while to go to, to catch those guys. Seegs is batting 356 to open the season, though, and Scott Service mentioning that it's great to see Seeger be so locked in at this point. Kyle, is, um, we've certainly seen ups and downs um, throughout the last you know, four or five years here, but uh, you know, right now is probably swinging the bat as good as he has at any point. Um, just the consistency of the at-bats. Uh, you know, they bring in the left-hander tonight to face him, and he hits a bomb off him. So um, it's great to see. Uh, we certainly need it. You know, with our lineup, the stability in the middle of it is really, really key. Um, and, you know, you're going to get a good at-bat from him. And, you know, it's, it's been all year, you know, using the whole field. And certainly tonight it was to the pull side. And good for him. Good to get that 200 homer out of the way. Humble Seeger, though, saying it was really the win that uh, made it that much sweeter yesterday. Yeah, that makes it that makes it so much better. You know, the, the individual accomplishments are nice. But, you know, when you can do it in the in the context of a team win and, you know, you can you can celebrate with your, your peers and your buddies and your you know, your teammates in there, it makes it, it makes it much more special. And I, I thought Marco was phenomenal tonight, um, you know, was attacking their guys, was going right at them, you know, had them, you know, he was. It seemed like he was really attacking the inside corner. I'm, I'm not sure. I don't have the best angle of that, but you know, I thought he was really sharp. And I, I know they hit a, a couple, you know, home runs there, but you know, I thought he was, I thought he was really, really good tonight. Just wanted to talk up his teammates, even in his big moment yesterday. But congrats to Seager on number 200. We've seen a lot of them over the years here in Seattle. Marco gave up a few long balls last night on the other side of things, but did not surrender a walk and ended up fanning seven, including top prospect Joe Adele. Gonzalez looks in ready. The stretch and the one-two to Adele. Swing and a miss for strike three. That is strikeout number six for Marco Gonzalez. He has been outstanding tonight again against the Halos. That was in the bottom of the fifth, uh, or sorry, in the top of the fifth. In the bottom of the fifth, Kyle Lewis uh, adding to his impressive start to the season, finished with two more hits yesterday, giving him a major league best 20 through the first two weeks of the season. His RBI single in the fifth gave Seattle a 4-1 lead. 1-0 pitch to Kyle, swinging a ground ball, skips off the top of the mound, into center field for a base hit. More rounding third being waved in by Maniac. The Dillon will score easily up with the ball as Trout. The throw will go into second base. Kyle Lewis with an RBI single to center, scoring Dylan Moore. It's now the Mariners four and the Angels one. And for Kyle Lewis, RBI number 10 on the year. Uh, the Angels make it a little interesting, though. David Fletcher slapped a solo shot in the top of the sixth to make it 4-2. Then Mike Trout took Marco deep in the very next at-bat because... 
I mean, it's Mike Trout. 4-3, Mariners still on top by a slimmer margin. The M's tacked on a few key runs, insurance runs, in the bottom of the seventh, thanks to Austin Nola's two RBI double. The payoff. Swinging a high fly ball, slicing to the gap in right center field. Trout racing over. Trout going, going, can't make the catch. It splits it down, and Trout goes to the base of the wall. Lewis is in. Seager is right behind him, and with two outs, Ostinola splits the gap in right center and has made this a 6-3 ball game. Nola delivers again. Then rookie Evan White, someone everyone's rooting for. He snapped an over-17 stretch with an RBI double. Good time for Evan. Set and the 1-1. Swinging it sliced deep to right field. Adele charging back. Adele sliding. Can't make the catch. It's into the corner. Here comes Nola. Vogelback holds at third as this one hops and goes over the fence for a ground rule double. And Evan White picks up an RBI two-base hit. Has extended the lead. It's now 7-3, to three, and that's got to feel good for the rookie Evan White. Yeah, 7-3. to three, those, Mariner, those Mariners' runs ended up coming in handy because Trout making it interesting once again by adding a three-run drive in the eighth against reliever Taylor Williams to pull the Angels within 7-6. Uh, pretty unfortunate because it looked like that he actually looked at strike three at the top of the zone. Unfortunately, the ump did not give it to him. Uh, ended up being a ball, and then Mike Trout going deep for a three-run shot. Trout now has 44 career home runs against Seattle. Not bad. Uh, but Scott Service saying that Taylor Williams was just rushing a little bit when he came out. Nate. Really rushing tonight. You know, you could really tell he didn't have the command of the fastball at all. Uh, you know, he, get, he hit the guy, uh, you know, in the inning kind of threw into the backstop. I mean, that was just was very uncharacteristic of him. And, you know, typically he's got pretty good fastball command and then really good command with the slider. And uh, both of them were just a little bit off tonight. And I think he's... You know, it's been a few days since he's been out there, and we had him hot here at the beginning of the homestand, but he, he was, I think he had three or four days without getting in a game. So, uh, again, we're finding out about these guys, and he's probably one of those guys that needs to pitch regularly, whether we're on the, on the good side of the game or not. Uh, Carl Edwards Jr. ended up pitching the ninth for his first save of the season. Seattle snapping their four-game losing streak, and Marco able to pick up the win, move to 2-1 and one on the season, and collect his seventh win, career win, against the Angels, 7-1 and one now against the Halos. Marco with a lot of success against that team. Quick update on right-hand pitcher Kendall Graveman. He'll miss more than one start due to his next strain, according to Scott Service. No official time frame on that for you yet, but it's clear it will be more than just 10 days. Uh, Nick Mardgavichis will take Graveman's turn in the rotation starting on Saturday. Up next for the M's, it'll be righty Taiwan Walker out on the mound, making his third start of the season. A really good go-around for him last time. He threw seven innings of one-hit ball in a win over Oakland. So hopefully young uh, young Skywalker can repeat that. Uh, the force is strong with that one. Up next on the Blitz, the Seahawks making a move, claiming defensive back DJ Reed off waivers from the 49ers yesterday. It's kind of amazing how both these teams are cycling through some of their former players back and forth. But we'll explain. Plus, we'll hear from Tyler Lockett on this season next on the Blitz, right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. From the Alaska Airlines studio, this is The Blitz. Welcome back to The Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz hanging out with you this morning. Thanks for being here bright and early, Thursday, August 6th. The Seahawks making a minor move yesterday. Uh, they claimed DJ Reed, defensive back DJ Reed, off waivers from the 49ers yesterday. Reed tore his pectoral earlier this summer. He isn't expected to be ready for a while. Uh, the Niners simply didn't have a roster sp- spot for him at this time. He's 5'9", 190 
Pounds uh, was a fifth-round pick in 2018 and has since played in 31 games over two seasons. Could project as more of a nickel for the Hawks. ESPN's Brady Henderson also joining 710 yesterday to chat about Marquise Blair and believing he'll play some nickel. They try to use him in the nickel. And, and if they had not traded for Jamal Adams and if it was just Brad and McDougald uh, and, and Quandre, I really think that, that he would have, that Blair would have given Brad and McDougald a run for that starting job at uh, strong safety. So obviously that's going to be Jamal Adams' position. And um, yeah, I think he's going to be there in the mix in nickel. And I could definitely see them just based on what I've heard. Uh, definitely see them kind of going with, I guess, um, you know, a committee there uh, at nickel. And, you know, when it's it, just based on matchups. Also, it was earlier this week, but KJ Wright speaking about the defense, and he had some thoughts that the defense has to be better, unacceptable to allow the offense to bail them out so often. That's definitely not good enough. That's definitely, you know, not the standard that myself or, or Bobby is proud of, along with Quandre and BMAC. We, we have the talent. We have the talent. We have the chemistry, and we can't allow the offense, you know, Seahawks offense to, to bail us out in games. That's just, that's unacceptable, and it will be better. That's from his one-on-one interview with Q13. And at the time, too, KJ bringing up that health and safety is definitely a big concern right yeah, now. Yeah, it's definitely a, a big reality that we have to face. And the NFL is doing, taking a lot of protocols to make sure that we stay, you know, stay safe. Yeah. And so it all depends you know, what we're wearing on the football field, what we're wearing in the building. Guys got to have the mask on at all times. Tyler Lockett had a one-on-one uh, yesterday as well with Q13. And he talked about health and safety, it's definitely a big concern for him right now. I don't know if it's going to work. I don't know if it's not going to work. All I know is that it's going to be different. It's going to be weird, say, for instance, if a team makes it to the Super Bowl and star players don't get to play because they contracted the disease like or the virus, I mean. So what do you do? Do you push the Super Bowl out? Do you not? Do you, you know, it's, I mean, it's just a lot of things. Some star players might not be able to play. What happens if some people sit out? What happens if, you know, with their contracts? There's just so much stuff up in the air, but I think everybody's just more concerned with the unknown. Tyler Lockett admitting that he's nervous about the health and safety protocols, the aspects of this season. I'm very, very nervous. <laughs> I can tell you that. I'm I'm more nervous than exciting. So we just got to play it by ear. I'm in Texas, so I see how bad it is, like, You know, I I got family and stuff that's older, you know, like I just dealt with somebody that passed away that was in my family, but it wasn't because she was sick. It was, you know, other things. So like for me personally, I don't want to have to deal with more deaths and I don't want to be somebody that's carrying something that's asymptomatic and I give it to a family member and I got to deal with the fact that I was the reason this person died. Like, I just don't want to have to go through that and deal with that. Uh, Lockett also talking about no matter how many rules put in place, there's still going to be a lot of unknowns. No matter how many rules you put in place to be able to stop it or to be able to help prevent yourself, it's kind of like, well, what happens when we fly away? What happens when we go to those hotels? What happens if somebody gets sick on the road and they, they can't stay at the hotel? The hotel doesn't want anybody that's sick, so where do they stay at? And so it's like so many things that you got to kind of think about, and it's so, it's so many things that's outside of our control. So it's just going to be hard to see if it works. I see baseball can work because it's easy to social distance. Basketball is a little tougher. Football is way more tough. Tyler Lockett, though, uh, speaking of what you can control on his chemistry with Russell Wilson, a thing of beauty. I mean, I think it's breathtaking. I think it's something that's amazing, but I think it comes with a lot of mistakes in practice. 
Like I'm, I don't really catch all the balls in practice. Like mm-hmm. I probably drop a good amount of balls in practice and stuff like that. But it's those mistakes that help turn into something beautiful when the game time comes around. And those are the times where you rather make your mistakes is in practice than the games. But sometimes you do make mistakes in games, but it's just one thing about Russ is he always tries to correct it. If you drop a ball on a certain pass or if he doesn't do a type of throw that he wished he did, then he'll get the ball back and he'll try to recorrect it and try to get it out of his head right then and there. Uh, How about thoughts on DK Metcalf's rookie season? What impressed you the most about DK Metcalf's season last year? Uh, I think that the thing that impressed me the most was just how consistent he was. Obviously, it's different being able to come into the NFL and he didn't really have a chance to play a senior season like he wanted to. And so being able to come in and being able to just see him pick up the offense, being able to see how dominant he could be, especially in practice, whenever you see the way that he brings that same intensity level to the games, you're able to see like so much growth and you're able to see and imagine what it is that he could possibly do as he continues to get older throughout his whole entire career because he's dominating as a as a rookie. Both uh, both he and Tyler Lockett, DK and Tyler, pretty incredible relationship with their quarterback, with Russell Wilson. A lot of hard work going into that. And we got to hear from ESPN's Brady Henderson coming up next on The Blitz. We'll hear on an incredible story about Russ and his dad that Brady recently penned for ESPN.com. If you haven't had a chance to read it, you should check it out. But we'll hear from him. It's next on The Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to The Blitz from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Welcome back to The Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Thursday, August 6th. Maybe saw on Twitter yesterday, Mr. Unlimited was trending. You know, Russell Wilson's alter ego from a couple of years ago that we were introduced. Still kind of unsure as to why it was trending yesterday, but uh, hey. Brady Henderson of ESPN joining Bob David Moore yesterday to chat about story he wrote about Russ and his dad and why not you recently for ESPN.com if you haven't already check it out but uh, Brady discussing the details of that well let's get into the what you wrote a great story you can check it out at ESPN.com the headline reads why not you late father still inspires Seattle Seahawks Russell Wilson is a really really well-written story and and, and uh, for people that haven't had a chance to read it yet Brady just give them a, a quick synopsis of what's in there yeah, it's uh, the story is about how Russell Wilson's dad shaped him, and um, you know anybody who um, knew his dad and who knows Russell will tell you that he was the most influential person in Russell's life, um, and they would also tell you that it's really no surprise that Russell has um, accomplished everything that he has. His dad was just a, a very uh, ambitious person, and a big dreamer was the way that Russell's brother described him. Uh, and really instilled in this this belief in Russell that he could be whatever he wanted to be, and um, you know that that to not let people's doubts get in the way of of what he wanted to accomplish. So um, you know Russell was talking even before he had made a, a cent uh, off of you know uh, professional sports. He was talking about you know owning um, an, a part of an NFL team, and so that just kind of gives you an idea of of how lofty uh, the goals that he had before he even made it. And I think his dad, as, as the story examines. Uh, his dad was a big reason for that. Yeah, Brady, you know, you've you've interviewed him and talked to him a, a number of times. I just, you know, going back through, so everybody's talking about, oh, it's cringeworthy and corny. I love it. And and I feel like, and Bob put it really well, that he, he's very comfortable. 
in his own skin, and he, he's kind of found his way, which is difficult, man. I mean, you know, you're supposed to you come in as a rookie, and you're supposed to be a leader, and you're trying to do things the right way, and then, you know, and he goes through, um, you know, a divorce and then finds just a lovely person in Sierra, and they've got this family. I, I just... Anytime anybody ever criticizes Russell or says anything like that, I'm always like, are you kidding me, man? It just uh, it just seems like he has done a really good job with a lot of money, a lot of fame, playing a, probably the most important position in any sport, and uh, and, he, and he comes off as, as just a, a genuine guy to me. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, if you were if you were you know running the Seahawks, I don't know if you could ask for anybody to handle themselves better and, and to, you know, represent the organization better than he has. I mean, he's never, you know, gotten in any sort of trouble, uh, anything like that. He's just a, a you know, a, a perfect citizen, just a, um, you know, a, a world-class guy. And, you know, I think people, it, it, I, I'm with you there. It seems like people want to have it both ways because they say, well, you know, they, they knock Russell for being, you know, scripted or robotic or whatever in the press conferences. And then, you know, when you, when he sort of lets his hair down and he acts goofy like that and people criticize him for that. So if you want him to, to, to be who he is, you got to let him be who he is. So I'm with you. The criticism seems a little uh, unfair to me in that regard. Nope. I like it. Totally dorky. I love it. I love, uh, you know, Hawaiian shirt, dad jeans, Russ. Uh, I love Mr. Unlimited Russ. All those versions. Uh, glad he's our quarterback here in Seattle. Also yesterday, Yogi Roth of the Pac-12 Network taking some time to chat with Tom, Jake, and Stacy about everything going on in college football right now. Yogi, pleasure to have you here. We're looking at these, I don't call them scandals yet. What's going on with Washington State and Cassidy Woods and also the news that broke it uh, about Colorado State where certain players and staffers are saying that they were dissuaded from record or from reporting their COVID symptoms and quarantining. And you got other players saying, no, that that's not the case. When you hear about these stories, how do you distinguish between complaints that you think are legitimate and complaints that are just maybe made up? Yeah. Well, thanks for having me on. Pleasure to talk to you all again. And uh, I love anything that Jay keeps involved in. So this show's awesome. Uh, but with that yep. being said, to answer the question, I think the biggest thing we can do when anything like this hits, and it doesn't happen very often, but it's to just pause and listen, to, re- to be really blunt. Like when everything came out with Washington State, you saw it just continually coming out, right? So when did you want to insert yourself with an opinion? Well, you kind of want to wait until the end, until you talk to people, at least in my purview. For Colorado State, that one shocked me you know, when it came out um, and to your point of like, there's, there's more that's coming out about that. So that's where I'm at. Um, you kind of knew that when COVID came to me, at least in, in the springtime, all right, if we're going to have a season again and people are going to want to play, it's going to get really dicey and get really interesting. Not, not just around the health and wellness of student athletes. I think everybody's on the same page there, but on how things get reported, when they get reported and that's, to me, uh, the Colorado State situation, the first one. Hopefully it's not of many, but you wonder uh, if the season does get going, like how do teams handle it if their star player maybe was around somebody with contact tracing but doesn't have it, do you report it? Like, th- those are all the things that a skeptic would definitely lean into. Uh, but for me, I try to just pause in these scenarios, try to gather as much information and be measured whenever I offer an opinion on it. 
Let's examine here the thinking of a head coach, because we know the head coaches in college football have a ton of power. So in the case of Rolovich, let's just say that he did what Cassidy Woods initially made it look like he did. Let's say he tried to dissuade him from joining We Are United. Or in the case of Colorado State, let's say that uh, the university or that the head coach tried to tell kids, hey, don't report your symptoms. Wouldn't those coaches have to know that that's going to get out, that in 2020 all of that stuff gets made public, whether it gets leaked out or players complain? Like, coaches, are, are they – would any coach be that foolish? Well, I'll, I'll tackle the Colorado State one first regarding, a, again, a hypothetical. Um, yeah. You, you, I don't know enough of the details to, to to give you an opinion on what has or hasn't happened, but I do know enough times in college football – there's so many people communicating from, you know, the time the head coach or athletic department makes a statement and then a student athlete hears it, right? It could go through his coordinator, position coach, graduate assistant, roommate, you know, and before you know it, it's the game of, you know, telephone where can you keep the actual sentence from starting uh, and being the one that's completed in a room of 10 people. It's virtually impossible, right? How many studies have been proven to show that? So, I, I don't know in that regard. Regarding Coach Rolo, I, I've known him for 15 years, and I, I really think he's one of the one of the few coaches that truly are player centric. You know, he he really wears that on his sleeve. You know, I think a lot of the coaches, at least in the Pac-12, I think every coach goes through the lens of their players. But Coach Rolo, he's always been extreme in that regard, wherever he was at. I remember calling games and the OC at Hawaii let alone the head coach in Nevada and it stops in between. So when that one came out, I said, let me just pause and see what's going on around here. You know, let me make sure that I talk to some people and see what, you know, everybody's lens is on it from, you know, the, obviously the one that Cassidy had, of course, coach Rolovich and, and the institution. And at the end of the day, um, when it came to COVID-19 and him saying, Hey, Cassidy, like if you're going to lean one way, opt out because of COVID-19, I'm okay with that because that was gonna that's gonna protect the student athlete and, and that's what Coach Rolovich said in his statement. I, I think they put it out. What was it early yesterday or the day before? My days are kind of jumbled together, but I, I don't see him as someone saying, "Hey, if you believe in something, you can't be on this team." I, I for me and my relationship with him, which I think is pretty in depth, I can't imagine him, him thinking or communicating in that way. Clearly, he didn't communicate clearly. Um, and clearly enough with Cassidy, and, and Cassidy had his point and, and made it loud, and clearly it, it caught a ton of steam. Full interview with Yogi Roth available for you at 710sports.com. Coming up next, though, it is the hot list. MLB making some tweaks to their coronavirus protocols and having to up their vigilance. We'll hear uh, from the latest from, from Rob Manfred on that regard. Also, Big Ten taking a uh, page out of the Pac-12 players' book yesterday and uniting to write their own letter in the Players' Tribune. It's next in the Hot List right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. From the Alaska Airlines studio, this is The Blitz. It's time for... The Hot List. Holy mackerel. The headlines for the day in sports every morning at 6.45. Heck yes. What are we missing here? A full breakdown of the top stories of today on your morning drive. Let's go. Today is the deadline for reportedly for NFL players to opt out of the 2020 season. And yesterday, uh, 
Louis Riddick and Jeff Darlington discussing players' options to opt out before today. Now we're at 58 players, and it's been kind of a steady flurry of players deciding whether to opt out or not, but you just talked about Tredavious White. He's a perfect example of someone who actually is doing something seemingly smart by going into the facility and finding out what exactly the protocols and the safety measures are like. Now, the interesting component here is I was talking to a bill source, for instance, that mentioned that they don't know if White's going to play or not. They're not really sure which way he's going to go, and they think he's probably going to play, but that is what NFL teams are now trying to monitor. They're not trying to convince or sway players one way or the other. They want this to be a very personal uh, decision. They recognize that. But to your point, 58 players right now, whether we see a few more in the coming day, uh, we'll have just wait and see, but it certainly seems like players like White are monitoring and ultimately holding out until that final moment before they decide. Yeah, this is a very interesting situation for Buffalo in particular because with Tredavious White, if he happened not to play and he decided to opt out, which he has all the right in the world to do, I mean, they're missing an all-pro caliber corner that severely impacts their ability to defend mm-hmm. the pass you know, in the AFC and in the NFL overall. You, 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 do not miss, you do not have players like this not be on the football field, not have it adversely affect your football team. But Tredavious White, just in that, in that soundbite right there, shows you really kind of exemplifies the kind of concern that players on the entire spectrum have, from the guy who was the 53rd man presumably on a roster to a guy who's a top five player on a roster. All these guys were trying to make decisions that, again, and you have to emphasize, are not just best for themselves, but you hear player after player talk about how much they are worried about their loved ones, whether it be children, significant other, grandmothers, mothers, fathers. And it's a serious issue, and they have every right to take it up to the very last minute as far as making a decision with as much information as they can have at their disposal. But make no mistake, Tredavious White not playing for the Buffalo Bills would be a heck of a blow to that football team overall. Also, when it comes to health and safety protocols uh, for the season, we also heard about the potential face shield that the NFL was working with Oakley to develop this technology. But... It's likely, according to Darlington and Riddick, that the NFL won't make the face shield mandatory, that uh, it would be more of an optional thing. And Aaron Donald Rams, uh, defensive tackle, of course, yesterday saying probably won't wear the face shield. No, I ain't, I ain't tried. I, 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 honestly, I probably won't even put that on. I need, I need air when I'm, when I'm out there running around and breathing with them long drives and stuff. So um, I feel like we, we out there, we playing up close. I don't, there's nothing you can really do to, you know, if a guy got it and I tackle a guy, then I probably got it because he's going to be sweating and spitting and slobbering all in my face. So um, uh, hopefully you guys are just doing what they need to do. And I feel like there's not the shield they said work with. I don't, I, don't, I don't really think it would. So he's out on that. Aaron Donald, at least one of the league's biggest named players. Mike Tannenbaum also discussing yesterday on the possibility still for the bubble NFL bubble model and uh, reiterating that it would be hard for the NFL to institute a bubble as of now. I think that's where you get into things like collective bargaining. I I, I just think that's such a heavy lift because, you know, again, we're talking about right now 90 players and, you know, another 30 coaches. And then you think about all the support staff. And I just don't think Roger Goodell could sit there and wave a magic wand and say, hey, mandatory bubble. You know, I think where the NBA had a huge advantage was, it's a realistic number of players. They took over an area where there's other things for the players to do. And now with that said, there's been some bumps in the road for them. But I just think given the extent of the numbers we're talking about, given the dynamics of the sport, I just think it's really hard to pull that off if you're Roger Goodell in the NFL. 
Meg Tannenbaum also on concerns NFL coaches might have about contracting COVID-19. The NFL had the incredible benefit was that the league and the union in February, which seems like seven lifetimes ago, guys, uh, agreed to a 10-year extension, which is very meaningful because now you have 10 years to get everything figured out, um, which is a lot different than some of the other sports. But candidly, there's coaches out there that are worried about contracting the virus, uh, support staff. So I think this is much more of like, how do we as a sport, you know, get through this year the best we can? We all want to have that Super Bowl in Tampa Bay, be it in February or March. And what can we do collectively to give ourselves the best chance to get there? Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred believes the health protocols the league has in place are working despite a couple of outbreaks of COVID-19 that they have had most notably on the Miami Marlins and the St. Louis Cardinals. He's calling for, quote, vigilance from all parties uh, and the league going to follow that up with instituting some new measures in the coming days. Manfred told ESPN, quote, I think the vast majority of our players have done a really good job adhering to what are our difficult protocols. They're contrary to the way people normally live their lives. We believe in the two serious outbreaks that we can identify deviations from the protocols that resulted in the situations we had. The key is vigilance. It's vigilance on the part of the commissioner's office, club officials, players, and everyone involved in the game. Who's team mentioned the commissioner's office in that one? That's good. That's good. Manfred said the league is taking steps to ensure safety of its players even more while reemphasizing and even tweaking uh, the health and safety protocols. It was a lengthy handbook that they had handed out to start the season. Although, if you've been watching MLB games as I have um, all across the league, then you've seen maybe some of these that deviated from the handbook that you had already seen. Some players still high-fiving, some around the horn still happening. Um, but Manfred said the league taking steps to ensure that they really lock up these protocols. Uh, for instance, masks, they have to be upgraded to surgical masks, especially on trips, on planes. Previously, they could use cloth masks, but now they're going to, <clears throat> they're going to upgrade those. Also, on planes themselves, they're going to be even more stringent and aggressive about social distancing, about not want, wanting players. They'll allow them to eat on planes, but not allow them to talk and eat uh, to other players while doing so. They're also discouraged in general, like in team hotels or wherever they're at, from eating and talking, that they should eat and socially distance at the same time. Also going to re-emphasize the significance of outdoor space, they said, um, and building outdoor space into clubhouses, really utilizing that. Yesterday, published in the Players' Tribune, a group of Big Ten players on what they called the Big Ten Unity Proposal, sort of taking a step or a page out of the Pac-12 Players' United book. Um, But theirs really aimed around the health and safety protocols, whereas the Pac-12 Players included, of course, some racial and social justice measures and some economic demands as well. But uh, the Big Ten's really focused on protecting the well-being of athletes in a couple of different categories that they included oversight and transparency, prevention and safety protocols, player assurances, testing, contact tracing and related procedures, but still looking for a third party that's approved by players to administer COVID testing and to enforce all COVID-19 health and safety standards. Um, We'll see how this has implications across the sport, but essentially right now playing a little game of chicken um, stalemate with with their conferences of these players are. The ACC released its full schedule yesterday with, uh, or today, excuse me, with Notre Dame hosting Duke in week one on September 12th. 
Um, last week, the league announced it would play a 10-game conference schedule with one non-conference game, and Notre Dame would be a part of that as a result of COVID-19. The release today listed dates for all games and most of the non-conference opponents all league teams would play. Clemson, hoping to make it back to the national championship, will open at Wake Forest. That Notre Dame game, its Notre Dame game, remains on November 7th. Alabama offensive coordinator Steve Sarkeesian uh, has a new contract, which includes a raise to $2.5 million per year. It was approved by the school's board of trustees yesterday. According to USA Today, that is more than the nine, the nine Power 5 head coaches, including Brian Kelly of Notre Dame, were paid in 2019. In addition, Alabama defensive coordinator Peter Golding received a one-year extension and a raise that will pay $1.225 million annually. Uh, those contracts, both for Sarkeesian and Golding, run through February 28th of 2023. The College Football Playoff Selection Committee will release its final ranking of the season on December 20th instead of December 6th. They announced yesterday uh, the top four teams will participate, of course, in the semifinals Friday, January 1st in the Rose Bowl and Sugar Bowl. The championship game still scheduled as of now for Monday, January 11th at Hard Rock Stadium in Miami Gardens, Florida. Fall sports championships, meanwhile, have been canceled in NCAA Division II and Division III as a result of COVID-19 concerns. The cancellations affect football, men's and women's soccer, cross-country, field hockey, women's volleyball, and men's water polo in both divisions. The NCAA Board of Governors directed each division to make its own determination on whether to hold fall championships, and both came to the same conclusion and made those announcements yesterday. Uh, eight UCLA football players reportedly tested positive for COVID-19 upon their return to campus in early July, according to ESPN. The school did not announce the positive test. That's university policy, as it should be. But they become public uh, yesterday after Los Angeles Public Health Director Barbara Ferrer revealed that in a news conference while talking about the spread of the coronavirus on college campuses in the county. According to UCLA, though, the process is complete. The school's confirmed it doesn't have any student athletes currently in quarantine. The Boston Bruins, they had NHL's best record when the regular season was cut short back in March. Yet when the 16-team playoff tournament starts next week, the Bruins will not be the top seed in the Eastern Conference. They opened the East Round Robin tournament to determine that seeding uh, with losses to the Philadelphia Flyers on Sunday and the Tampa Bay Lightning on Wednesday. That makes it mathematically impossible for the Bruins to earn the first or second seed in the East as of now. Big night for uh, Kyle Seeger yesterday, number 200 for him. So happy for Seeger's joining rare company here in Seattle. But the Mariners also able to beat the Angels 7-6 on Wednesday night, despite two home runs by Mike Trout. Mike Trout doing Mike Trout things. But Kyle Seeger hitting a three-run shot, the 200th of his career. Uh, and congratulations to him. Three-run shot in uh, the bottom of the third. 1-1 one, one pitch. Swing a high fly ball out to right field, and this is way, way gone. Whoa, up by the head in here, Cafe. Way to punctuate number 200, Kyle Seeger, make it count. A three-run tank out to right field, and Kyle Seeger becomes just the fourth player in franchise history to hit 200 home runs in a Mariner's uniform. One of the all-time greats as a Mariner. One of the longer home runs that he's hit. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't go up there too often. I guess um, I figured out that the the home runs that land in the third row count just as much. So <laughs> that's been that's been more my approach, I guess. I leave, leave up there for the big boys. Statcast didn't even have a major on it. Maybe you broke Statcast. You know what? I'm I'm going to use that line then. That's what I'll that's what I'll go with in there. I'll take it.
He officially broke StatCast Seeks. I love it. Joining King Griffey Jr., Edgar Martinez, and Jay Buhner as the only four players to hit 200 home runs with the Mariners and Seeks a bidding. He's still a few behind them, I'm though. still a few behind them, so... <laughs> Yeah, I might have a little little way to go. I, you know, I, I appreciate the company, but I think uh, I still got a little while to go to, to catch those guys. But no, 200 is definitely something I'm very proud of. Um, you know, it, it's not something that, you know, I necessarily thought was, was going to be part of my game, you know, growing up or anything like that, or even when you break in. So uh, it's something I'm extremely proud of. Starter Marco Gonzalez pitched seven innings, gave up three earned runs off three hits, the long ball uh, yesterday, but solo shots against Marco, and that he can overcome, and he did uh, on the mound, now 7-1 against the Angels, so pretty good luck against the Halos, luck really having nothing to do with it, but Marco, uh, with a good win, started with great pitching, according to Scott Service. Nice win, obviously, uh, our guys tonight, really, it, it starts with starting pitching, uh, and Marco was really, really good tonight. Uh, you know, obviously, the Gave up the, the the three home runs, but they're solo shots, and I know he can he can survive those. But I thought he was really sharp, and you know after they got the, the two home runs there in the sixth to go back out in the seventh, uh, you know and shut them down there, put another zero up was was really big. And also Scott Service with a shout out to the offense yesterday. J.P. Crawford, another hit at the top of the lineup. Dylan Moore in the two spot, went three for five with two runs. Kyle Lewis adding two more hits and an RBI. And then Kyle Seeger, Austin Nola, uh, two hits for both those guys as well, two RBI. So good to see the offense get going. Next up, it will be Taiwan Walker making his third start of the season. Pretty stellar in his last time out. Seven innings of one hit ball in his victory over Oakland. So hopefully young Skywalker once again on the mound uh, against uh, against the Angels. That's a wrap for the hot list and the entire Blitz at Six Hour. Danny and Gallant coming your way next right here on 710 ESPN Seattle.